Welcome to the Memories of a Moonbird podcast, exploring life one story at a time. Hello, friends. I'm Daniel Sherl. Today on the show, he's a true artisan who's been working with wood for almost 15 years. He turns gorgeous bowls on his lathe and his pieces are as unique as he is. But why is he so unique? Because he's blind. Today, I'm going to talk with this master craftsman about his life's journey, what caused his blindness, and how, without being able to see, he transforms a chunk of wood into a work of art. Please welcome the man known as the blind woodsman, Mr. John Furness. John, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you, Daniel. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. It's so great to meet you and to talk with you. First question always, where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Craig, Colorado. It's just a little wide spot in the road up in the northwestern corner of Colorado. I was born there in 1981. Nice. Child of the 80s. I love it. Oh, yeah. I know from your previous interviews you've given that you're the youngest of six kids, correct? Yes, that's right. I'm the young. I'm the youngest of seven. So from one baby to another, rock and roll, we're there obviously the go. best. <laughs> yeah, we're the best, best of the brood, right? Exactly. <laughs> they they decided that they, they had perfection. They didn't need to do anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Break the mold at this yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was little John like as a child? Well, no, I guess uh, I I always kind of felt a little bit like a loner. I don't know. I had always kind of had trouble fitting in, really. I don't know. It's it's hard to say cuz I was into to like science and math and all that kind of stuff and I really just didn't I don't know. I just didn't really identify with a lot of people and I had a hard time feeling accepted really and was this amongst friends in the in the area or was this also within your own family mainly like with friends to tell the truth um mm. you know like my peers and stuff i just kind of felt like the the odd the odd duck i don't really know how to put it but are you close to your siblings today i am yeah definitely that's good that's good and it was, i assume growing up it was similar to my upbringing where you love each other, but you don't necessarily always get along because you're siblings, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's That was uh, definitely uh, how it went, you know? I mean, like you said, in any big family, uh, we might love each uh, we love each other, but we might not like each other. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious about your last name. Uh, Furnace is actually a name that I know originates in England. Is any of your family from that area? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mainly, uh, we are from England, actually. Uh, my nephew looked up a lot of our history. Well, my, my family is LDS. Uh, and so my mom is very much into genealogy and the, those kind of things. And she found that on both sides of our family, we are uh, uh, mainly English and Portuguese. Mm. And the name, from what I understand, originates in uh, uh, Norse. So there's definitely some uh, a lot of lineage in uh, Europe and those kind of things. But I know that there's actually a region in uh, England named Furnace after my ancestors. Oh, very cool. But it, with an E-S-S spelling instead of an I-S-S spelling like mine, but there's both. Mm. Now, you you mentioned LDS, which is Latter-day Saints for people who may not know. Yeah, um, Mormon. Yeah, yeah, and I'm curious: is is the Mormon religion still a part of your life, or did you? No, it's it's not really. I uh, I'm definitely a spiritual person, but I'm not really. I'm not a Mormon or a Catholic or a Baptist or or anything like that. Really, I just I believe that you know goodness is goodness, and you don't have to put a name on it. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. And I think there's a fundamental difference between being spiritual and being religious. Mm. I don't think you need to follow a specific doctrine to yeah. feel something, you know? Absolutely. One of the beautiful things about us being able to do this interview is actually because of COVID. And I don't think people realize that because of COVID, I actually started spending a lot more time on TikTok, like a lot of people. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I saw one of your videos and I thought, oh my God, this guy's incredible because my dad, who passed away a couple of years ago, he was a woodworker in his oh. as, a, as a hobby. Oh. A couple of my brothers are woodworkers. And I myself really like to build, you know, shelves and I built some nice. really cool, you know, I'm, I'm not 
anywhere near your level of talent, but I respect it so much. And so it's really because of the pandemic that I've gotten to meet really interesting people like you. So it's a cool, positive spin on everything that's happening. That's actually kind of the same thing with us. We, uh, because of everybody, you know, like you said, on, on the internet and TikTok and everything because of COVID, we, our, our business has gone from local to global. So it's, it's been pretty, it's been a wild ride. I mean, and by no means am I saying that I'm glad any of this has happened. It's just an odd dynamic that it has, it has shifted uh, commerce in such a way yeah. that it has benefited us, you know, being online and stuff like that. Well, I'm curious, have you always been interested in woodworking or is it something you discovered? Um, I've always been interested in, in those kind of things. I'd done some like kind of, you know, basic carpentry type stuff when I was growing up, just like, you know, build a shelf with some two by fours or something like that. And so I'd always had kind of an interest in that, but I didn't get into fine woodworking until after I was blind, actually. And so let's talk about what happened here. I'm going to summarize for the listeners a little bit of your story, and then I'd love yeah. for you to obviously jump in. Yeah. You survived a suicide attempt as a teenager. Mm -hmm. My understanding is you attempted to shoot yourself, yes. and that led to the loss of your sight and your sense of smell, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. So the first question I have for you is, what happened in your youth that led you to want to take your own life? Because I think, and I, and I want to, before you jump in, I'm sorry, I want to say that uh, this is a subject that I think needs to be talked about a lot more in the world so that people can get help and not feel alone. I myself at some point have felt, uh, man, is it is it really worth hanging on at this point? Like, what's the point of it all? I think everybody goes through a depression and, and dark times in their life and we don't talk about it enough. So what led you, though, to take that next step? First, I would like to also agree with you that it needs to be talked about more. It's, I don't know why, but it's stigmatized for some reason. It's like, it's treated as a shameful thing when what it is, is that you need help. Everybody needs help, mm -hmm. you know? So you're, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with you there. And I want to say, it's very brave of you to continue to do these interviews and go out there in the world and talk about this in the hopes of helping people. I think that's a wonderful thing. Thank so you. Thank you. Very by much. all means, please continue. Well, um, like I was saying before, I had always kind of felt just out of place. I felt, you know, like I wasn't really accepted and I just didn't feel like my, my friends accepted me or respected me. I mean, I, I know they did. And really I'm sure that most of that was just all in my mind, but at the same time, I made it this huge thing in my mind and I never reached out for any help from anyone, mm. you know, to, to talk about it or anything like that. And so of course it just kind of built and built and, and got to the point where I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just, I just couldn't stand the thought of suffering through it anymore. And so I decided to attempt suicide. And well, now I know, I know you said you didn't reach out, but as the youngest of six kids, did anyone in your family see that you were suffering or did you keep it that well hidden? I kept it pretty well hidden. I mean, I know that I don't know. I mean, I think my family may have suspected that there was some some problems going on because I had, you know, I was smoking cigarettes and I started drinking and things like that. And so, you know, there there were some signs, but I think I had kept it hidden well enough that, you know, like my friends didn't say anything. You know, it, it definitely surprised a lot of people when it happened. So did it come as a huge shock to your family when this happened? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Definitely. So then what was the recovery like after, obviously, you had the attempt, thank God, you know, you're, you're okay. Um, and then now you're in recovery. What was that process like? Well, I was very, very fortunate that I, it only took my sight and smell. You know, I, I experienced no brain damage at all. I mean, I, I did end up with post-traumatic epilepsy, but that was far after the fact. Mm. But that's, I mean... That's pretty uh, uh, light uh, to get off with after <laughs> something like that, you know. Yeah. But I, I had the full support of my family and everything, of course. I uh, also adapted so quickly that I really, it's almost like I'm supposed to be blind. I, For instance, I replaced the rear wheel bearings in my old car one month after I got out of the hospital by myself. 
oh, actually wow. taught my friend Carlos how to do it while I was I was doing it. <laughs> and, and that was just because I, I could just see it in my mind. I have this, uh, I still have a very vivid visual imagination. And so I can just, it's like a computer design program in my mind. I can just see whatever I want to see right in front of me. That is really, really incredible. I mean, that's just, wow. It's really impressive. Thank you. It's, it's helped me a lot. There's, there's actually a condition I have called a uh, Char Charles Bonnet syndrome. And what it is, is it's uh, something that happens to people that have had sight and gone blind. And it's, uh, it's a, a considered a hallucination. It's a visual hallucination. And it's not because of any brain damage or anything like that. It's, uh, it's not very well understood. They think it might be like, for instance, your, your visual cortex keeping itself entertained because it doesn't have any input huh. and uh, uh with some people it's very like disturbing images like dead trees and people with messed up faces or things like that but with me it's just colors and shapes oh that's cool. and and it's been really beneficial to tell the truth because i'm able to take those colors and shapes and it's just it's the background it's the wallpaper call it and then I can put in me any image I want over the top of that and, and see whatever I want to see. That's amazing. Do you have the same thing? Like if you look at a bright light source, like if you're outside and you look up at the sun, do you detect the differences in the light? No, no. The, my optic nerve was totally destroyed. And so there's no light perception at all. Oh, wow. Okay. So you go through recovery and then now you have to learn to be blind and you have to learn to live without sight as you had yeah. it before. Right. Yeah. So then I know in one of your, in one of your interviews, I heard you talking about the fact that at some point though, did this lead to a depression and drug use and stuff? Yes, it did. I, I definitely went back down into a pretty deep depression and I kind of, I went between sober and, and, you know, using, over the next few years, I, uh, after I graduated high school, I moved back to the, I, we were living in Salt Lake City, Utah when I graduated high school. And then I moved. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me, let me ask you were 16 when you tried to commit suicide. Yes, that's right. Okay. Okay. So I know I wanted to get the, the kind of the roadmap. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and so, and I finished out my, my last two years in high school, like public school. And, uh, when I graduated, I, decided to move back to the little town I grew up in in Colorado. And that was a horrible decision. That town had nothing but trouble for me. And I proved mm. that in a real spectacular way. I ended up getting in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, I, with the law, I, I ended up on probation with a felony, a conspiracy to distribute marijuana charge. Oh, geez. And, uh, that you know that that was not great i i finally just last year was able to get a pardon from the governor of colorado and that's off my record now fantastic yeah it's it was you know almost 20 years ago and i mean that process should be a lot easier but that's a whole other conversation that is a whole other thing yeah but I agree. Uh, so i i went back to craig and i got uh, involved really heavily in meth and you know like i said i was i was you know, involved in other aspects of drugs. And I ended up uh, like the, I was living in these boarding houses there that were just real, real bad. I, and the, you know, my, I wasn't taking care of myself very well. And I ended up getting a sinus infection that was so bad. I actually had to have the entire uh, frontal, my, my entire forehead bone removed and replaced with a carbon fiber prosthetic plate. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty bad. They uh, they told me that they don't understand why I wasn't completely and totally brain damaged. Like they said, they they most other people they'd seen that it was that bad. They were in like a permanent vegetative state. Well, you had something out there in the universe looking out for you, man. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. 
So wait, so now you have a carbon fiber forehead and you are blind. You're like the bionic blind man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the I'm the six million dollar man. <laughs> if anybody uh, listening is old enough to remember that series. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I'm a child of the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Well, in these days, it'd be like. Well, what did they give you spare parts or something? Six million dollars? <laughs> I know, right? It's an eight billion dollar man now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how did your family handle this whole situation as you were going through all this? The infection, you mean? All that kind of stuff? The whole process well, of you know now now you're you're going through stuff. You're doing crystal meth. You're living in boarding. I mean, did they were they begging you to come home? Did they try to help you? Or well, they they helped me. You know, they they helped me as much as I would allow them to help me. Let's put it that way. Because mm. I, you know, I was living in a different city and I did not want to, you know, I wanted to do drugs. I wanted to be a rebel. I don't know what you call it, you know what I mean? But I didn't want to follow their ways because they are still, they're, they're still practicing members of the church, which is wonderful. Um, you know, because that's, that's what they need and that's what they are and and that's what they love and so that's i'm glad that they have that but that was not who i wanted to be and that was not what i wanted to be and so i basically just i i didn't want their help so to speak because i i didn't want to change my ways and then Mm. you know after i almost died i decided that i should probably uh reach out and accept their help and they they of course you know took me right in and and with their love and help and support and my own rock hard stubbornness i was able to (laughs) i i moved back in with them and i was able to get off of probation and and get off crystal meth and uh, then i it wasn't too long after I got enough probation that I discovered fine woodworking. And how long, how, at what age was this? Let's see here. I was uh, 24. Yeah. So it was a solid eight years of, from the suicide attempt till really things got back to a good life essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. Till, till That's the, quite a journey. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, so it takes what it takes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and well, and thank God it was eight years, not eighty years. You know, yeah. I mean, there's that there's that perspective as well. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. So it it really and I wouldn't trade that time either. Those were some terrible times. Don't get me wrong. I I went through some really rough patches, but at the same time, that gave me a wider perspective on the world. That gave me a a deeper understanding of how people get there and what it's like to be there and how to get back out of it. And and I'm by no means an expert in any way, but I I really feel like those experiences did enrich my life. Well, there's no question. I mean, when you see the darker parts of humanity in yeah. any aspect, whether it's a soldier in war or someone who's been through drug addiction, whatever, yeah. when you see those things and you experience them firsthand or secondhand, it changes your perception of the world. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious, how long was the period of time from when you actually went blind until you learned how to live independently? Well, I, uh, I was actually, like I said, right off the bat, I was able to pretty much do the things that, you know, I, I wanted to do. Like, uh, I am actually a half decent cook. Um, <laughs> that I, I really enjoyed cooking before, uh, and, and still do. I mean, uh, I, I'm sure if you've watched the TikTok, uh, you saw some of our cooking with the lights out segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are a lot of fun. And mobility, like my navigational skills, were just right off the bat, just really keen. And I think part of that is is uh, my visual memory and visual imagination. But I've had uh, many uh, mobility specialists say that that I have spatial awareness skills like they've never seen before. Well, I think you would have to, to do what you do with the woodworking, which is, I mean, I don't know if other people understand this, but I have used many a different kind of power saw. And when I saw what you were doing, I really freaked out a little bit. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, how does he not cut his fingers off? You know? So it's, uh, I got to tell you the first couple of years I was a woodworker, I'd break into a cold sweat when I knew I had to use that <laughs> table saw, but you have to, you know what I mean? You, that's where most of your projects start because you got to 
cut your boards down to size. So if you respect the saw and you follow the rules, you are perfectly safe. And that's what I learned. I still don't like using the table saw, but <laughs> I can. <laughs> well, John, I know you've been giving interviews a lot this year, and I'm curious, is it difficult for you to talk about all this or has it become a, a force of healing that you feel compelled to share and, and try to help others? I, I really feel compelled to share. I, I'm glad to be able to help people with the things that I've experienced and, and to try and help them with my advice or, or to, to, you know, have them help someone else because they've seen this, you know, I, it makes me feel really good. And that's something that I, I has been so wonderful about TikTok is because I've been wanting, I've wanted to be a, you know, an inspirational speaker and share my message mm. for a long time. And TikTok has literally allowed me to do that on a global scale. It, it Without TikTok, it would take me a lifetime, if ever, to be able to reach people on that kind of a scale. Have you been approached to do a TED Talk? I did a, a Vancouver, Washington's version of a TED Talk called Van Talks. Nice. So sort of. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I can totally see you doing a TED Talk. I think you should. It would be amazing. That would be really cool. Hi. I would love that. Earlier, you mentioned LDS and the Mormon church. I was curious if there's ever been any issue with your family, with you not being religious and them being active in the church and or religious. You know, luckily, no. Uh, that's that's something that I feel very fortunate about is that my family, even though I, you know, I am not a, a practicing member, I, you know, I, I still drink alcohol and stuff. I, they still accept me for me and they've never like looked down their nose at me or shunned me for it or anything like that and so that's wonderful i i feel very blessed about that because i know that that is not always the way that's it's very often not the way and that's not exclusive to mormonism that's a lot of different religions oh, yeah. are will snub their nose at certain things or, oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. not even just religions i mean there's people and you know any group snooty beverly hills people that bend their nose at the <laughs> people that live in the san fernando valley yeah. any group <laughs> that puts a border around themselves defines themselves by one thing or another and doesn't matter if it's religious or political social anything you know if you were going to give advice to other people out there today young or old that are struggling with depression or sadness, I've considered committing suicide, what would you say to them? What would you like to tell them? Well, a few of the things I like to say is that things are temporary. I know that that is a hard thing to tell yourself when you're in the depths of bad stuff, but things are temporary. It will change eventually. And to, to try any way to keep going on, you know, like a Try to find some way to, to distract yourself. Try and find, I mean, get some some hemp and weave a macrame plant hanger or find some way to redirect your thoughts and also reach out for help. Even even if it's just saying, hey, I you know, I feel kind of lonely. You want to hang out today or anything, it, volunteer or something like that, something that might help you feel a little bit better, but just don't keep it inside that's one of the biggest things you gotta and you, you know like i said you don't have to say oh i'm you know i feel like committing suicide please help me just just go out and do something just try and break the cycle that you're in i love the way you phrase that about breaking the cycle that's that's so awesome and i just want to add to it that i also think it's important for people to know that they're not alone everybody goes through these feelings and even though we're in the covid time where it's harder to be able to just reach out and give somebody a hug you're not alone you're really really not alone yeah and and even you know with covid happening and stuff like that there's chat rooms there's groups there's all kinds of stuff that you can join and also try to avoid negative things like really just just if if you're feeling down if you're feeling bad try not to look at well just negative things you know what i mean mm -hmm. like don't look at the news that day because generally it's the news yeah. <laughs> the news sucks <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so maybe don't look at the news maybe uh, you know play a 
a video game or or you know talk to a chat room that is into like watching dogs have dreams or something you know <laughs> what i mean like find something that is just just positive or or just not negative in any way you know yeah go to youtube and look up puppy videos oh let me tell you man you look up some dog videos of puppies dreaming that will set your day right <laughs> <laughs> well real quick john i just want to put a plug in here if you are listening to this podcast and you have any kind of thoughts of suicide or you're depressed and you want to talk to somebody, oh, yeah. reach out 24 hours a day, seven days a week to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. They are available at 1-800-273-8255 or suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Again, that's 800-273-8255, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. 24 hours, seven days a week. So, John, what made you decide to turn to woodworking? Well, uh, that actually started because, um, like I said, I had just gotten off probation and I was wanting to find some work. And as a blind person with no computer skills, that is a tough prospect. And so I contacted Vocational Rehab there in Salt Lake City. And part of their program was a an independent living training center. And they wanted you to go through that class before they really, uh, you know, helped you look for a job and stuff to make sure that you were prepared to live on your own. So the uh, program was designed uh, mainly for like, uh, like kids that are going from high school to college or transitioning into employment and, and going from home to living out on their own. Mm. They would go there and uh, they even had like some apartments nearby that they rented for the students to stay at. And, there were like cooking and cleaning classes, braille, computer, and a wood shop, which I thought was kind of kooky, honestly, at first, but <laughs> I've always been adventurous. And so I decided to give it a try. And uh, I found that I, that's my thing. I'm better at woodworking than anything else I've ever tried, I think. That's and, awesome. And the teacher there, who is actually a very close friend of mine now, he, really knew how to teach and he really knew how to inspire you to you know he he taught us to use different types of wood and laminate them together and and really make something nice can we give him a shout out what's his name chris hathaway chris hathaway yeah. chris good hathaway. job buddy yeah he's a wonderful wonderful teacher and one of my all-time best friends when uh, he retired i actually uh, had a project in the works and they weren't really having very much luck finding me employment either, because like I said, I'm a blind guy with no computer skills, but I'm, I'm handy. You know, I'm a mechanic. I, yeah. I'm a craftsman and that kind of thing, but good luck finding an employer that will hire a blind person to do that because it's a huge liability. And, and I get that, you know, I, mm. I understand that it's a bummer, but I get it. And so, uh, uh, when he retired, I had this project that I was working on and he said, Hey, why don't you come over to my place and work in my shop and we can just hang out and work together. And that's what I did for the next couple of years is I, I just honed my woodworking skills basically. That is so and cool. Yeah. I, I, I even, uh, when he moved to a new house, he and I built a 16 by 20 foot wood shop from the ground up Wow. Right, from the the boards on the, the ground to the shingles on the roof. And he is also blind, not total like me. He's got one eye that is at about 2300, 2350 or so. Wow. So a couple of blind guys built that wood shop. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great sitcom there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious, do you have a favorite wood that you like to work with? I think I think one of my favorites is uh, Sapili. It's an African mahogany. Mm. Um, I also really like black walnut. It's It's got very nice machining characteristics. Walnut is one of my favorite woods. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good one. I, I've actually worked with a lot of, uh, since I live in uh, the Pacific Northwest, there's lots of trees around. And so I've actually yeah. <laughs> uh, used quite a bit of locally harvested wood in my projects. It's it's nice. I'm curious, not having a sense of smell, does that drastically affect your ability to taste and appreciate food? Luckily, I still do have a pretty good sense of taste. Oh, good. Um, most people lose both, but luckily I didn't. I, I can still taste pretty well. 
Well, this is one of the questions I would have asked further in the segment, but since we're right here, what's your favorite pizza topping? Oh, let's see here. Black olives and pepperoni. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge I'm a huge pizza whore. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I love me some pizza. Good yeah. old Pizza Hut. <laughs> John, how did you and your wife Annie meet? So hey, I live up here in uh, Washington State, just north of Portland, Oregon, actually. And uh, the reason that I ended up here is because in Vancouver, Washington, which is just uh, just down the way, there was a school for the blind to learn how to work on pianos, tune and repair. Mm. And it's the only it. Well, they, unfortunately, it closed down a couple of years ago, but it was the only school of its kind in the world. You know, not not the only piano rebuilding school in the world, but the only one for blind people. And uh like I had said, I'd been having a really hard time finding employment. And my friend Chris, his father-in-law had come up here to the school in the 60s and learned how to tune pianos. And that's, you know, how he supported their family. So I decided that sounded like it was right up my alley because uh, working on pianos is fine-tuned woodworking, basically. Mm. And since I'm a, I'm a mechanic and a woodworker i decided that sounded like it was just right for me so i came up here and started attending the school in 2011 and in uh, summer of 2012 i was there doing some uh, uh like extra courses because the school taught mainly tuning and basic repair and I can admit it, I really was not the greatest tuner, <laughs> but I, I'm a great mechanic. And so I was learning uh, how to do like full rebuilds. And so I was there doing uh, extra courses in the summertime. Uh, and I I mean, I was restringing and doing new hammers and all the, the major stuff on it. And Annie happened to be painting a piano for a yearly fundraiser that they do in one of the workrooms where I happened to be repairing a different piano. And so I, I walked in there and and she is also an artist. She's a painter uh, amongst other art forms. And uh, I walk in and of course, like an iron bar to a magnet, I put my hand in the wet paint on her piano. <laughs> you know, and and I, you know, we're both embarrassed. Of course, she's never been around a blind person, and and I figured I had just ruined her painting. You know, put my finger up Mona Lisa's nose or something like that. You know, <laughs> luckily she was just priming, so. That's it wasn't so a big deal, but love we, at first palm print. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so uh, you guys got married how soon after? Uh, it was three years later. Um, That's and, cool. And actually, uh, let's see here. So we had been working together for a couple of weeks in the in the shop there, and then the fundraiser thing was over. And she called me because. I'm not real smooth, honestly. I'm about like George <laughs> McFly when it comes to picking up women. So <laughs> she uh, she called me and uh, I was sitting with some friends of mine and I wasn't sure what to say because I was broke. I might have had some change on the floor or something, but <laughs> I was totally broke. At the time, however, my friend TJ and I, we had rented a uh, garden plot at the community center and I had this huge patch of peas that I had planted that uh, I needed to harvest. And from what I knew of her, I knew that she would love that. So I called her back and I said, hey, do you want to come and uh, pick peas in, in, in my garden? <laughs> and she said yes. And it was the perfect date. We were there. And it was sunset. And, and, you know, we spent hours in the garden, picked peas and talked. That is one of the coolest pickup lines ever. Would you like to come pick peas in my garden? Yeah, yeah. And we ended up getting married in front of that garden plot three years later. Oh, that's beautiful. So it was it was really nice. We uh and, well, so I want to ask you uh, uh sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we found our people. We Annie and I are the perfect match. That's really cool. So I want to ask you about that. There's a there's a level of, I've been with Jolene, my partner for 14 years, mm -hmm. and there's a level of trust that I think long-term couples generally have. Mm -hmm. But what you guys have has to be even more than that because since you can't see she could really mess with you if she wanted to. And I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. curious <laughs> if you guys ever like had an argument or something, did she like hide the remote control for the no. TV just to piss you off? Or, no, you know? nothing like that. She would never do that. <laughs> no, I, I have had a girlfriend in the past that did do something like that. And that, 
relationship did not end well, obviously. But no, she would never do anything like that. Uh, and it really, it really is a different dynamic. Like you said, uh, there, there is definitely a, a trust factor there that we really have. And, and there's also, you know, it's a different dynamic being a, in a relationship with a disabled person. Like, for instance, she had to get used to the fact that I'm a blind guy and I break shit, you know, <laughs> like that's just how it happens. It's just, I've broken a whole cabinet worth of dishes and spilled about three gallons worth of liquid since we've been together. That's but, funny. you know, we, a, a something we like to say, uh, it's always an adventure. When I was a little boy, and I think I was in elementary school, a blind woman came to our class to speak. And I remember mm -hmm. this one thing stuck out to me. She was trying to figure out how to know when to stop pouring hot coffee because she didn't want to burn herself. Mm -hmm. So she put a little fish bobber in the coffee. And Whoa. then as it raised up, the little bobber would hit her fingers and she'd know to stop pouring. That's and a I always, I was, good idea. Hey, look at that. I'm glad I got to pass that on. Yeah. Hey, every cup of coffee I have starts with a mildly burnt finger. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Get a little fish, get a little fish bobber. Yeah. You know? Well, John, what do you like most about woodworking? I like being able to take this image I have in my mind and turn it into a real physical object that I can hand to you and you can see what I saw. Hmm. That I think is one of the best things about it. I, I, it's like having vision again for a second. And like, I see that finished product before the board has even hit the saw and, and to be able to feel it transform from that block into the, the project, the bowl that I envisioned that is, is wonderful. I love that. And to be able to just make whatever I want to just create. That's cool. And I'll show you the, uh, this is my adaptive measuring tool. It is called a Rotomatic. Oh, very cool. I'll tell you what, I will put a picture of this on my website for people to see. So fans, you can go to memoriesofamoonbird.com and click on the podcast, find John's episode, and you'll be able to see a picture of this tool that he's talking about. But by all means, John, uh, how's it work? Simple device. I measure more accurately with this than I ever could when I could see. Huh. Real simple. So it, it, I don't know if you can see the tabs I see the little slots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So each one of those tabs it represents one half inch. Now, each turn of this nut represents one sixteenth of an inch. And so uh, you you get whatever measurement you want, and then you lock it down with that lock nut. And then there you go. You got your nice, got yourself a nice square flat edge. That's fascinating. I love this thing. I, I can make a, I can set the table saw and make cuts accurate down to a 32nd of an inch with this tool. Now, is this something you invented or this is available to blind people? Well, this is something I bought. Unfortunately, um, the patent expired and so nobody makes them anymore, which is a real bummer because from what I've, from the tools that I've used, this is by far the superior device. There's, there's also one called a click rule that is very similar to this, but it's got a ratchet mechanism, which leaves a little bit of play and can be broken. Huh. And this thing is basically just a special bolt. So drop this, kick it around. Unless you shove it into a grinder, you're not going to hurt it. I absolutely love it. What's the most challenging aspect of being blind for you? Mm losing things <laughs> let me tell you what man i when i i like to joke that uh, all blind people have a little gremlin that follows around follows them around and when they drop things they they like to kick it or <laughs> or in other ways hide it you know i know for a fact that mine has a couple of uh, my tools in his belt that i'd like back <laughs> but oh i tell you that is one of the most just frustrating infuriating things is when i drop something and i can't find it oh that must take a level of patience that's extreme there's been times when i've had to search for over an hour but the thing that i lost was a vital component that had to be found and i mean in some situations i assume you can call annie and go could you help me find this thing you yeah know? yeah but there's other times when like you know for instance when she was uh, working a day job she'd be gone and i you know i might i might lose a tool that puts everything on hold until i find that tool well now are there safety measures for things like you know 
I would just imagine cooking, like you forget to turn the stove off or something like that. You don't want to burn the place down. You know, are there, are there things for blind people that are, well, that are helpful? Vigilance. That's one of the biggest things is uh, getting into a routine, like double checking things. You know, did I, you know, double check, did I turn the burner off? You know, I, different things like that. Uh, hmm. Just that's, that's one of the most important is like just vigilance, just routine really helps. I'm a big technology person. So I'm really curious if they invent the technology to recreate an optic nerve and they could give you back your sight by some surgical procedure or give you bionic eyes, essentially, would you take it? You know, at this point, I don't think so. And the reason is because I I've adapted to being blind so well. And my life is so full and rich now that I don't, it, it would be as big a shock or even bigger to get my vision back now as it was to lose it then. Because for the last 22 years, I've not seen any of the places that I've been or any of the people that I've met. And I would basically have to relearn how to see. Hmm. And, and it would be a shock because I have, you know, I have my own mental image of what all these people and places look like but I'm sure it's nothing like reality. And, and it's something that uh, I just, I, I, I would rather just have things the way they are. You know, I, it, it took me a long time to come to that. Hmm. You know, I, I, I still, you know, definitely I still miss having vision, but I don't think I would want it back at this point. No. What if it was something you could turn on and off like a cochlear implant for a deaf person? You could just be like, I'm going to turn my vision on while I'm cooking dinner and then turn it off later. Cause I want to go back to being mm, blind. No. Cause then it'd make me lazy. And if it got broke, then I'd hurt myself. <laughs> <laughs> What's something about being blind that you think the world may not know that they should. Mm, it's lonely. It is very lonely. I, I and like I can be in a crowd of a thousand people, but I'm still all by myself because no one will reach out and say, hi, how's it going? I'm so-and-so. I mean, they might shout out directions to me. <laughs> Everybody will stare at me, but nobody will actually come up and talk to me. And that's really, really lonely. And, and, not, and not to ask me if I need directions, but to just come up and say, hey, how's it going? I'm so-and-so. What's your name? It's, it's really, really lonely being a disabled person because everybody and it's there's like a certain level of like, you know, apprehension or uncomfort or whatever there. But we're just people. We're just normal, regular people. We just go through the world a little bit differently. Yeah. So next time, you know. Well, maybe the question I should ask then is. If people see you standing, if people see John Furness standing at an event somewhere mm -hmm. and they want to just walk up to you and say hello, do you, is that okay with you? Do you want people to just be like, hey, excuse me? Please and, do. Yeah. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I like that because it really, you know, like I said, I, there's been many, many times, even when I was at a party with like all of my friends, I was still all by myself because, you know, the, no one was really talking to me. I didn't. I don't have any visual cues to know how to break into a conversation. The yeah. only way I know somebody's there is when they're talking. It's not very rude to just insert yourself into the conversation. You know what I mean? So that's always been kind of an awkward thing. And so if someone, like if I were to approach you at a, at a say a party, mm -hmm. do you like people to reach up and like touch you on the shoulder and go, Hey, pardon me to get your attention, to let you know that they want to speak to you? No, you just say hi. You know, just say hi. So you know, I'm so and so, or just you know, to to address me. I guess I don't know, uh, but not necessarily. I mean, a lot of uh, blind people have you know, it, 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 they wouldn't want you to just come up and touch them. Like that's a. There are some people that I like to call them the make me let you let me help you. <laughs> they <laughs> they force me to accept their help and that's that's another thing is like ask somebody if they need help yeah uh, you know don't just assume because they're blind or they're disabled that they need help just you know ask them now is there a community of blind people in your area that you work with or talk to there's not really i mean there is a, a school for the blind here uh, in uh, vancouver washington which is about 20 miles from where i live but there's not really a large 
I mean, like, I don't, I don't speak to large groups of blind people, really. Have you ever hurt yourself in the shop? Yes, I have. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you still have all 10 fingers? I do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things I, that happened, one day I was, uh, it was the first bowl I ever made, actually. And uh, I'm carving along. I got kind of complacent and, and uh, careless, had my finger on top of the chisel and the uh, chisel dug in and uh, it whipped the chisel around and my finger got caught between what's called the tool rest and the side of the chisel. Uh. And it smashed my finger like a grape. <sighs> it was 11 stitches and eight weeks to heal. I left a trail of blood like a wounded cowboy in a John Wayne movie <laughs> all the way to the back door. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> And oh, uh, taught me a very valuable lesson. Don't put your finger there, you idiot. And the uh, part <laughs> of the varnish of that bowl is your blood? Yeah, there is a little bit of my blood in that bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Well, what's something about uh, being blind that's made you appreciate uh, uh, the world? Like, what's something, what's something about being blind that you appreciate about the world that seeing people may not realize? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um... I don't know. I think, I think being blind has helped me go with the flow. And I think people should try that a little more often, even though the flow might not be where you want it to be. If you don't fight it, it's easier to direct where you end up. That is, that is beautifully well said. And I'm probably going to have to quote you in the future. Uh, I'm curious, do you have any career ambitions that you really want to achieve? Well, to tell the truth, I, I am achieving them. I, uh, uh, Annie and I are living our dream. We are, are professional artists who are, we're supporting ourselves. And I have to say to all of our patrons, thank you so much for allowing us to live our dream. Thank you for supporting us and, and believing in us and being a part of our lives. I just, I have to say that to everybody and to you too. Thank you very much, Daniel, that this is wonderful. I love uh, the opportunity to be able to share my message. And Well, also the other dream you're living is having a gigantic, having a gigantic, beautiful, sexy beard, which ah, I envy thank you. because I've tried to grow my, <laughs> I've tried to grow my beard out several times and it gets to that third week itchy stage. And I go, Nope. I and, hear uh, you. It takes, it's like my long hair too. It's so curly and coarse that Growing it out, I knew I was going to go through a stage for a few months that I basically, I looked like Chewbacca that just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how it was. I My hair was just, there was nothing I could possibly do with it. I had this like wild Bob Ross fro for about three months. That's awesome. <laughs> Furnace the Wookiee. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. How has the proliferation of digital technology helped you in being blind? That has been pretty awesome, actually. I. I, uh, smartphones are the best thing for blind people since Braille was invented. Uh -huh. I can, I, I can't use a regular desktop or laptop, but I can go anywhere on my phone. I can internet. I've got apps where it reads the, reads my, uh, money for me. I've got video games designed for blind people, Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, prime video, you name it. It's, it's all on there. And, uh, you know, without that, I have to have, you know, I have to use a computer through someone. Mm. And, and well, and I have to say also, Annie, she is the reason anyone knows anything about me. She does all of our social media and stuff like that. And like she, she is the meat and bones of our, our business, you know, because like, yeah, I've got talent, but I don't know how to get it out there. And she does so much work getting our uh, all of our social media out there and posting, you know, all of our our items on the store. Not to mention, she is also a painter and stuff. She just I can't say enough. And I know you can't obviously see it, but she does a beautiful job. Mm -hmm. So well done, Annie. Yes. Round of applause oh, yes, for you. Definitely. Thank, <laughs> thank you for all you do. She is is a a strong, wonderful woman, and I am a very lucky man. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned earlier offline, we were talking about disability awareness. Mm -hmm. What would you like to tell the people about that? Well, the disabled people, we're just, we're just people. We just go through the world in different ways. And I mean, Hey, 
that you might even uh, if you become friends with a disabled person you can find an entirely new way to look at the world find a, a whole new philosophy and you know like uh, yeah disabled people need help but don't assume that we need help you know ask if we might need help maybe observe and see if we wander around in circles or something <laughs> I, you know like well and needing help doesn't mean doesn't mean helpless yeah absolutely absolutely i i there's one time i remember in particular i i did two very large circles in the parking lot of a Safeway grocery store because I had one hand full of about six grocery bags. So it's kind of making me list to one side. So I did two <laughs> big old circles in the parking lot. And then I, I made it back to the front of the store and called my friend to see if he'd come give me a ride. That's <laughs> awesome. Besides your family, friends, and your career, what are you most passionate about in life today? trying to spread happiness trying to to i don't know just just to try and and keep people together i don't know like i i just want to try and spread happiness and goodness in the world you and me both my brother mm -hmm. what was your favorite childhood book you know i actually loved the little house on the prairie series oh nice yeah laura ingles wilder yeah, yeah laura ingles wilder there's one i can't remember the title of it but there was one in particular where they go through, they were, her and her sister were little girls, like, I don't know, six and eight or something like that. And it talks about like her dad bringing home this, this bear and how they skinned it. And then uh, when they, they slaughtered the hog and he, he took a tree stump and made a smoker out of it and, and just, just some really cool stuff. The whole frontier life was so, I mean, if you think yeah. about it by today's standards, so incredible. Oh you know? yeah, absolutely. What do you do with your spare time and, and what are your hobbies outside of woodworking? Well, um, I, I listen to a lot of books and, and, uh, watch, you know, I, I love Bob's burgers and South park. Those are two of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really like to bake. That's one of my favorite, other favorite things to do is baking. Ooh, well now we're getting into my favorite subject, which is food. By all oh, means, go ahead. Yeah. I, I love to bake bread. That's one of my favorites. Um, occasionally do you have a favorite kind of bread. Um, I, I make this uh, French bread. It's a nice, like, Ooh. hard crust, fluffy inside French bread. I'm coming over your house. Stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. I good was going to ask you if you have a favorite food, but uh, do you have a favorite food outside of baking, like a meal? Mm, let's Last see. meal on earth kind of thing? <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I think if it was my last meal, maybe some KFC. <laughs> love me some KFC, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I I love enchiladas and Italian food. I have to say, I, another thing that makes me a lucky man is Annie is a wonderful cook. Mm. She knows her way around the kitchen. She I I like to say that she improvs in the kitchen like Robin Williams did on stage. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, John, I know we have a new president, but I'm curious if you were elected president of the United States tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do? Oh, boy. One of the first things would be to straighten out health care for everyone. Definitely. Okay. One of the second things, mm, I don't know. That's a tough one because there's a few things <laughs> that could. Mandatory siesta for bread eating every yeah, day at 2 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. That's that's a good one. And then number three? Um, Let's see here. Number three, I would definitely take care of health care and probably immigration also uh what about how do you feel about the electoral college would you abolish oh, that abolished absolutely abolished well there we go so we've got healthcare immigration bread time and getting rid of the electoral college yes that one that would that thing would be out so fast it would smoke on the way <laughs> <laughs> president furnace you have my vote i appreciate it <laughs> thank you <laughs> one of my favorite questions to ask people on the show is this one mm -hmm. if you could sit for four hours in an old-timey pub somewhere with one person from all of human history, alive or dead, excluding your own family members or any prophet like Jesus, Moses, or Muhammad, who would you sit with? What would you drink? And what's the first question you would ask them? Hmm. 
That's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go with one that I was just thinking of the other day, and this is Gene Wilder. Oh, nice. I would love to have sat down with Gene Wilder and just talked with him. Well, what would you drink? Let's see here, I would probably drink some Glen Goyne single malt, seventeen year age scotch. And what would you, what's the first question you'd ask Gene? Oh, let's see here. What was it like working with Mel Brooks? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Uh, John, some people say that the world today is the worst it's ever been. Some people, like me, say the world is the best it's ever been. I'm curious, where do you fall? Boy, I'd say it's uh, somewhere in the middle. I don't know. There's, there's some really wonderful things in the world now and that the world is capable of now, but there are also some pretty terrible things, too. So I... Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say I'd I'd put that somewhere in the middle. Right now, it's I'd say it's a limbo zone. Okay. Do you and Annie want to have kids at some point? No, we we've uh, thought about that a lot and decided that we don't really. And I mean, for one, uh, neither one of us have very good health. And for two, I have twenty eight nieces and nephews. So there's wow. there's enough to go around. <laughs> and that's just in my family. <laughs> Annie has uh uh let's see here, four, uh three nephews and one niece. And uh so I figure that's that's enough. We we're just gonna have fur kids. We've got ourselves a puppy dog named Pickle. Aww. And we you know, we, we love our puppies and stuff and we figure uh, we'll use our lives to to spread joy in other ways and and love our puppy that's awesome i'm a huge dog lover man so i respect that a great deal mm-hmm. are you happy with the journey of life so far looking back yeah i am i am there were definitely some some rocky patches but i like i said now i'm living my dream right before i moved up here to go to the piano school I had just finished this table that I like to call it the crown jewel of my career. It's it's definitely a piece of art in itself. And I remember finishing that table up and saying to my friend, man, I wish I could do this for a living. Mm-hmm. But in Salt Lake City, that's just it wasn't an option. There's really it's it's just a totally different community there. The art and everything, you know, it's just totally different. And now that I live up here and that I that I've met Annie and she has, you know, exposed me to the world at large and and the two of us working together, we are able to live our dreams as artists. I mean that's really beautiful. Congratulations. Thank you. If you could continue to live a healthy life, how long do you think you'd like to live? I don't know. I uh that's hard to say. I don't know. I mean if I could continue a a a nice, comfortable, healthy life, then whatever i'll wait you know <laughs> i'll i'll keep going until i go yeah but i also i i'm i'm very comfortable with the idea of my own mortality i don't i don't fear death i fear how it might happen but i don't fear it itself well i was actually going to ask you having survived a suicide attempt are you afraid of dying i'm not yeah, yeah no i i i have a very comfortable relationship with my mortality so to speak and i just hope it's peaceful however it happens but i i'm not afraid of it i saw this this one episode of star wars clone wars actually where yoda is sitting on a tree branch and he's talking to his his alternate self is the dark version like dark mm-hmm. yoda mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and during the whole episode the general premise is that he keeps kind of trying to resist Dark Yoda the whole time. Yeah. And then in the end, he ends up embracing Dark Yoda and bringing him into himself so that the two can live as one together. And what I love about that, and I'm really kind of bastardizing the metaphor, but what I like about it is this idea that in all of us, there is a light side and a dark side, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are really afraid of their dark side. And I think that the successful happy life comes when you actually embrace the fact that we all have a dark side and you don't fear it and you just, you don't have to live in it, but you, you you know, I'm curious how you feel having gone through what you have. I agree with that 100% really. I, uh, I, and I am also a huge star Wars fan. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, read most of the books and stuff and that that's really an interesting thing. Uh, in some of the books, it talks about that, how like, 
you know, there's always uh, the the dark side and light side and that kind of thing. But in one of the books, it talks about how, like, anger is not evil in and of itself. You can be angry because a dog stole your hot dog when you weren't looking. You can be angry because you, you know, a rock fell on your car, or you can be sad because someone died, or you can be fearful because you might get hurt. Mm -hmm. Those emotions in and of themselves are not bad or evil. It's the intention behind the emotion that is the bad or the evil part. And, and in this book, it talks about that that is what the dark side is. It's not the fact that you feel anger or pain or hate or fear. Those emotions have their own place. It's when those emotions are allowed to control and direct you that they become the dark side. I think that is so 100% spot on the truth. It's, it's really just very much if, if something sad happens to you and you process it and deal with it, great. If something sad happens to you and you go kick a dog in the park, that, that's when you become evil. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, if you could go back in time and talk to your 16-year-old self before you'd attempted suicide, what would you say to yourself? That the things are temporary and that, you know, that, that uh, I have to look a little deeper. I had to look that I needed to look beyond the surface to really see. Let me think of how to put it. I had to look past my own delusions, so to speak because I felt like my, my friends didn't respect or, or care for me or things like that. And, you know, like, I, I, I guess I would tell myself to, to step back and, and try to look at things differently, I guess. John, what do you think is the purpose of art? I think art is the root of creativity. It is, it, it is the, I mean, cause without art, we wouldn't, display our creativity we wouldn't create things that were not before other than in our mind and without that we wouldn't have any of the inventions or anything that we have today so i think that that art is the root of creativity and innovation very well said thank you what's your spirit animal i think a dog yeah i think a dog would be my spirit animal any particular breed labrador yeah, a good man. Yeah, <laughs> good old Labrador. I, I actually, uh, my nephew looked up our family crest, and there's the black lab on it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I grew up with uh, golden retrievers, yellow labs, and black mm. labs. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Well, John, the last thing we do on the show is a little game called 299 Philosophical and Life Questions with Moonbird. I have a list here of actually 299 philosophical and life questions I've collected from the internet and friends and family. You get to pick two numbers at random. Some of them are poignant. Some of them are funny. Okay. You choose your favorite two numbers, and I'll ask you those two questions. Okay, let's go with 111. Okay, 111 and... 73. Question 111. 111. If past lives are real, what was yours? What just popped into my mind was a, a, a wagon train guide. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe a guy that made wagons. Like back That's in the cool. 1700s. The yes. 1800s. Something like that. Well, now like Old West or like French Renaissance? Yeah, I, I mean like homestead type wagons. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the typical covered wagon we yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, you said number 73, correct? Yeah. Number 73, it's the first time this question's been asked on the show, so thank you. Mm -hmm. What's one thing that bothers you most about the world today? Well, let's see here. The lack of, oh, I guess I want to say open-mindedness. The lack of, of like... Okay, for instance, uh, the climate between particular groups anymore, and I don't even necessarily mean like political groups or whatever, I just mean groups in general. There's no room for any uh, compromise whatsoever. It's, it, it comes to a certain point and then it cuts off and that's that. And there's no, there's no bending, there's no, there's no nothing. And so it causes this gap between the two groups where there's this there's this gap there that is unbridgeable mm -hmm. but if one or both of the groups 
would allow just a little bit of compromise or a little bit of whatever you want to call it, it would bridge that gap, even though some people might have to, to bite their lip a little bit or whatever. It would cause a unity where there's division. Yes. And I wish that that could change. I agree with you 100%. And that phrase, that whole idea is summed up by the phrase, bring back the middle, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is which is a political statement. But I, I think it applies to life. And I agree with you because I was raised, I'm 49. I was raised in a generation that did have a big middle. And there was yeah. a lot of middle ground in the yeah. 70s and 80s. And people tend to be like, well, hey, I don't necessarily like that thing, but no, tell me about it or whatever. You'd, you'd have yeah. open discourse. Yeah. For some reason, that that wedge that's been driven between us lately, it's got to stop. It's if we, if we want to stay together as a species, we have to find some kind of unity. I agree yeah. with you. I know. I I like sci-fi books, and they talk about, you know, oh, it's this is humanity a hundred thousand years from now. And in the back of my mind, I think, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the way we are now, there's no way we're going to make it a hundred thousand years. Do you, I have hope we will. I have hope, I we'll hope persevere. we do. I hope we do too. I really hope that that things start to, I don't know, with, with information technology, I think it's helping because people are learning things that they were not able to before. And so they're, they're able to break down barriers and walls, but who knows how long that might take. Do you have a favorite sci-fi author? Arthur C. Clarke is one of my all time favorites. Hmm. Yeah. I love his old, like, 1940s 1950s sci-fi stories the the ones where they're they're on a moon base smoking cigarettes <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's definitely a an interesting uh take do you like you fantasy know? as well like lord of the rings kind of stuff yeah yeah i do the hobbit that's my favorite that's cool it's very cool John, I can't tell you what an honor it's been to talk with you today. And I want to thank you and Annie both so much for making this happen and coming on the show. I I really wish you the best of luck with what you do. And I'm going to promote the crap out of your stuff because I think it's awesome. Thank you. And and really wish you the very best. You too, Daniel. I I really appreciate any time I get a chance to be able to share my message. And it's been very nice talking with you. This has been great. Friends and listeners, you can find more about the blind woodsman, John Furness at his website, FurnaceStudios.com, F-U-R-N-I-S-S-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. And you can also find him online on social media at the blind woodsman. There you can see lots of photos of his incredible woodwork, learn about he and Annie, and even support them on Patreon, which you should do because they are awesome people. And one more time, I just want to say for anyone out there having suicidal thoughts or if you're just really depressed and need someone to talk to, head on over to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And if you're not in the United States of America, there are resources online for almost every country on planet Earth. So please get online and find a resource in your area because you are not alone. And there is a really friendly voice out there waiting to help you. 